Hello, we've got some exciting news. Would you like to join the History Film Club? We are a very exclusive club and anyone can join now. We've got a brand new Patreon, so you can get your own membership number and badge. There's also merchandise, extra content and live watch-alongs. There will be more details after the podcast, but to join, go to www.patreon.com forward slash historyfilmclub. Welcome to the History Film Club. I'm Alex von Tanselman, a historian and screenwriter. And I'm Hannah Gregg, a historian and a consultant to film and television. Hannah and I have a very exciting applicant today to join the History Film Club. We have Professor Sunny Singh, who is Professor of Creative Writing and Inclusion at London Metropolitan University. Uh, she's a novelist and an expert, particularly on Hindi cinema. Her most recent book was on one of my great faves, Amitav Bachchan. Very excited to have you, Sunny. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. I'm delighted to be here. In the wonderful environs of the History Film Club. Um, <laughs> uh, yes. Sunny, I wanted to sort of start by talking to you a bit about, I mean, I know that you've done a lot of thinking really about um, period film in India, and particularly sort of Hindi cinema. I mean, just... To kind of open this up a bit for our listeners who may or may not be familiar with it, Hindi cinema is what's sort of popularly called Bollywood, but of course there are lots of different film industries in India, lots of different languages. But Hindi cinema has obviously sort of been undergoing some quite serious political changes in the last few decades, and I just wondered if you could sort of give us a, a very broad overview of what's been going on. Yeah, so uh, let's let's kind of break it down a little bit. So it's... Cinema in India is over 100 years old. Um, the first, in quotes, full-length feature film is 1912 um, production. And it's very quick off the mark on most things. So obviously in the silent era, we didn't have to worry about multiple languages, as you very astutely noted. But 1931 is the first um, talkie. And that's where the film industry bifurcates by language, but also by region and so on. I focus on Bollywood, which is actually not just even Hindi cinema, which is Hindi would be the one of the, the, the languages, or the, mostly from the north, but often, you know, kind of cuts across multiple states. But it's Hindi commercial cinema. So there's a lot of cinema that is produced often, you know, in, in, the, in Hindi language, but not necessarily the kind of with a commercial focus with a commercial business um, model. Now, so I'm I'm interested in in the commercial cinema partly because I think it it gets to lots of people. It's as we know, you know, under the Bollywood umbrella, you can imagine, you know, it is internationally as well as nationally huge. But it's also kind of an interesting thing because um, it seems to have a life of its own. It has, of course consistently also been used, not necessarily only by, by the state directly, but often by a kind of an overlap between the, the Indian state after independence and sort of political leanings of the, the, the industry itself for constructing national discourses or cultural discourses. Um, I'm fascinated by the ways in which historical film, and I'm always a bit leery about calling it historical or actually just period film because I'm not sure how much history is ever in a historical film. Um, something we probably agree on. But, yeah, we, we cover um, a lot of that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So we're not going to go down that route. But it's always interesting to, for me to think about what exactly um, gets talked about 
in the in these movies. So very, very early on, so right, you know, obviously, you know, when the movie industry kicks off, it's the part of the empire, and there's a very clear nationalist impulse. So a lot of films that are, you know, period films, even when they're not, um, you know, they may not actually be addressing the British. In fact, most most Indian film cinema is very quick to realize, uh, and the Empire is very quick to set up a censor board. So they kind of play this cat and mouse game, but it's always it's very much about an unjust ruler, a cruel ruler, and then the kind of the the populace that rises against them. Um, or defies and challenges them. Once the the switch happens after independence, there's a real nation-building impulse. So it's about, you know, pulling together, people come together, the idea of, of, of a secular state where um, regardless of religion, um, there is a very clear impetus that, you know, you, you know, you, we are all humans. It's a kind of a, it's a kind of a soft, you know, fuzzy liberal logic because it still, of course, hides all kinds of issues around caste and creed and so on. But there is a very clear impulse that in historical cinema, there is very much um, an idea that, you know, Hindus and Muslims primarily, but also if we go back um, through history of uh, of Talkies, you know, Jews and um, Romans in, you know, Yehudi Kilerdiki, for example, um, or Christians, you know, we, we can all kind of muddle along in this modern India. Now, the switch, I feel, happens, there's always, I mean, obviously, as, as with any industry, there's always been a kind of conservative impulse. But I think the big switch happens in, the, has happened in the last 20 years, and I would even take it, f- and, and the real big switch in the last 10 years, where there is an explicit demonization of people who are minoritized, especially Muslims. So there's a very clear Islamophobic impulse. There is also a kind of hagiography. I mean, I I don't, I can no longer call these historical films because these are hagiographic films of sort of, you know, the great Hindu narrative, the Hindu king, the the etc, etc. And it's a really interesting way to think about how they still have issues around gender and sexuality, which get more and more embedded and more and more um, explicitly, crudely violent um, and exclusionary. And I think that, to me, is an interesting process, partly because it seems that there has been a kind of... A, this, the, 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 director, the directors who, for example, ran with it, or who have produced some of these, seem to have built up to this over the last X number of years, rather than kind of coming out of it, you know, in this full-fledged way. But they've kind of moved more and more rightwards and more and more exclusionary and more and more Islamophobic. And I guess in simplest terms, more Hindu right-wing. Can you say a bit more about what you think is motivating that that switch? And, you know, you talked about being interested in the commercial cinema and, you know, the, the kind of cinema that's been driven presumably through a kind of financial model. Um, so how can we account for these these kind of shifts that you're talking about over time? This is the curious part, because if I look at something like Badmavad, which is a film, one of this, these these series of films, it's 2018, it's by Sanjay Leela Bansali, who's kind of made his mark in doing these really kind of over-the-top glamorous films, which when you trace his own trajectory, you 
you know, it's very easy to see the, the kind of really conservative, cost-heavy Hindu right-wing ideology that underpins all of it. But I think Padmavat is particularly um, grotesque in the ways it um, creates a really very clearly sectarian divide. Um, and it picks up on a on an episode that we, you know, that is familiar to a lot of most Indians, Battle of Chitor, and ends with this this sort of mass um, immolation um, of the women. Now, th- there's a whole other trajectory of Johar, and there's a whole kind of historical part of it. But we're not we don't get that. What we do get is this extraordinarily hugely patriarchal, hugely Islamophobic, grotesque representation. And I think that is interesting for me because um, what we're looking at is this director's trajectory where he has um, kind of built up slowly and, you know, towards what seemed to be kind of nice easy movies so when he in you know the same director in 1994 did 1942 a love story which was set in the backdrop of um the nationalist movement um and seemed to be fairly innocuous but when you go back and watch that it's very clear where he's he's headed um and his idea of india is is quite a quite an exclusionary one it's almost a it's a very nostalgic one a false nostalgia of course but I think um, the big, big reason for that is there is a kind of political backing, even if not an economic one. So this isn't necessarily, but Marvet, for example, it's made significant amount of money. So it made about 82 million at the box office, US dollars. It's sort of in the top X number of high grossing films. But it did. It's not anywhere close to some of the largest productions. It also kind of disappeared quite quickly, in terms of public memory and consumption. So it's not. It doesn't seem to be a film with which has in India we call repeat value. So there is no need for people to watch it. There isn't that same kind of love for the film, where which you will see with Indian um, film film fans who will watch films from the 70s and the 80s or the 90s or even, you know, five, six, seven years ago, where they will constantly watch these. Um, and that is also part of the revenue model, you know, to not just the, the films that are that are then licensed to be shown on television, but also through things like music and music videos and so on. And that doesn't seem to have happened with this. And yet the, I think there is a kind of political, social support that he receives, which I think a lot of other filmmakers without a similar agenda don't. It was fascinating, Sunny, when Padmavat, the film you're talking about, I mean, when I remember when this came out, there was a tremendous fuss about it. Um, and quite a reaction. I mean, it was originally called Badmavati, I think, after the mm-hmm. the Queen, who's kind of at the centre of it. And then they had to rename it, and there was a big fuss about historical inaccuracy around that film. You know, real, um, real antagonism about that. Um, mm-hmm. Can you comment at all on on that? What were people upset about? Ah, uh, what were people not upset about? <laughs> <laughs> I think that would be hilarious. Uh, but I think, you know, it's quite interesting. So um, there were there were a series of reactions, and it's worth thinking about how um, uh, to distinguish between them. So let's disambiguate. 
So people who found, who reacted afterwards, so I, for example, found the the fact that it was completely historically inaccurate. Um, it was also hugely um, patriarchal. Um, it leaves out, for example, Chitorgar in at this point. It's not as Hindu versus Muslim as it's shown. In fact, we have evidence that, you know, the Chitorgar court had Muslim um, leaders, it had um, generals, it had various military and political leaders who were part of it. So to turn it into this kind of you know, this Hindu versus Muslim saga, as the film does, was one of my problems. I also felt that the ways in which it had played out the on the gender roles on, on multiple levels was, was really regressive, perhaps much more so than we would be looking at in the 16th century, which is quite an interesting way to to for me to think about but there was another set of protests that happened and i i think that's more telling because those happened while he was making the film and i think that's a really uh curious one because it was the rajput communities um in rajasthan um who from the region so the rajputs are you know the the, the warrior clans the 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 warrior caste of a you know within that region who took offense at what may happen so it was a kind of um a protest of uh, of what he might be showing rather than what he did show so i think that's a really interesting one to think about mm-hmm. um as to why that created a controversy because there was this complete I don't even know. There was the this this community had decided that she would be portrayed in a bad light. And mm-hmm. I think that is a curious one, you know, who decides, you know, so where does this this line, you know, even for a work that hadn't even been made, um, it had already, you know, created this issue. And I think that also came on the heels of a longer, wider, you know, trajectory and a wider context of not only upper caste violence and, you know, that is at the service of certain narratives and certain con- and control of narratives, um, which which was then threatened by this supposedly imagined you know, terrible movie that would portray this 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 great queen in a bad light. Um, but there were also there was there was also a sense that you know this was this was part of a wider organized social media kind of you know ongoing noise, which has become a kind of a way of mobilizing um, communities, especially the far right communities. Um, often doesn't just stay online; it shows up with on with real life violence offline as well. So I think there there were multiple issues that happened, but I find that that division that that already there was a, the conservative, the most conservative people uh, sections of society had already mobilized even before the film was finished or may, being made. It suggests such a strong sense of ownership over particular stories um, that it raises kind of questions doesn't it in terms of who's allowed to tell those stories and who's allowed to make them (laughs) well yeah I mean you know the funny thing is so um, my first novel um, actually looked at the same queen Um, she's one of the characters um, and there's a section of my novel um, which was called 
um, Nani's Book of Suicides. Nani in Hindi means my his grandmother. So it was the grandmother's Book of Suicides. And it looked at all these women who end up dead and how we're supposed to sort of um, idolize them. And those are the role models. And she was one of them. And, and I find it really interesting because would I be allowed to say, tell the story? Um, I think things have changed drastically enough in the last 20 years that someone like me, regardless of my own position within the Hindu society and, in fact, within the caste hierarchy, the sexism is such and the regressive patriarchal underpinnings of any far-right movement, and it's no different in this case, is such that I think I would be very much in danger now if I tried to tell that story again, or if a 20-something-year-old, which is what I was, tried to tell that story at this point as a, as a woman, and on, only on that matter, just as a woman. So I agree, but I think this is also, it's not just an ownership, it's a kind of obsessive, mm -hmm. violent reaction to imagine threats. I mean, you know, this, this is, reaction is coming from the most privileged people in society. This is not coming from the marginalized and the excluded and the, the you know, the oppressed. So I think it, it's, I think that is something to keep in mind. It's you know, fascinating what you're describing and, you know, obviously quite disturbing in lots of ways. And it really sounds like history is becoming a kind of battleground very much for the present here. Clearly highly, um, highly present in these sort of political discussions. And, you know, if you are um, a filmmaker in India making, you know, Hindi commercial cinema and you want to make a historical film that What's the possibility for even making one now that doesn't kind of conform <laughs> to, to what these groups would like? Do you think that's currently impossible or are there ways to get around it? Do you know, it's it's a good point. I don't really know uh, um, because it seems that, you know, the films that have been, ma have been made um, that managed to get through do sort of follow this very conformist, very, very narrow, regressive model at the moment. Um, at the same time, I think there is, um, there is space. I mean, I, I, it always strikes me as bizarre, but also um, shocking in many, many ways um, that a, a historical film um, like Rang de Basanti, was which is which kind of mixes and matches you know it's it's a really fascinating idea of you know historical film or you know sections of which which are set in history part of it is a film make film about making films about history which i think is is quite you know quite a fascinating way of thinking about it it's a really complex film and that's 2006 so somewhere we india went from really complex really fascinating ways of creating historical cinema to this really regressive, um, restrictive model within 15 years. Now, I am always the optimist and I can't see this holding in part because I think it's interesting to see that 
there aren't really these big blockbuster movies coming through. And I think partly, and the ones that they are trying, so something like Thugs of Hindustan, which I'm never quite sure counts as period or historical or just fantasy, um, <laughs> is is a film that tests it out, you know, but it, it falls flat on other, re- other grounds. It's not a very, very coherent or a very well-made film, but it, it, it does potentially hold up the idea that you could create a film that would be quite quite fun and quite good to watch. But I do think the interesting one, that insight for me, is that I think the one way, if we look at Thugs of Hindustan, perhaps historical films could be made without sort of falling into these regressive um, tropes, is perhaps if we, if we focused it as anti-empire, because that's at least that seems to be one place we all agree on. <laughs> well, that's it with Rung de Vasanti, isn't it? I mean, Rung de Vasanti, I haven't seen since it came out, but it's, I think that film really created a lot of interest in Bhagat Singh and, you know, a side of the independence movement that perhaps a lot of people weren't terribly aware of prior mm-hmm. to that, you know, a kind of a, a different story, perhaps a more active story of resistance than the kind of non-violent narrative that is that is normally used yeah it's quite curious because they had there was a kind of a move and i it's always fascinating for me to see sort of there was a spate of really fascinating films that came through in that you know so there was the there was an amazing movie about um boasts there was, of course, you know, the um, Indian National Army. National. It was there was a whole series. There was Bhagat Singh. There was actually multiple movies about Bhagat Singh. Mm, um, yeah. They all, but but I think what Rangde Basanti did was it. Um, it's it really stood head and shoulders above it. Partly because um, there was a very self-aware um, element to it, where it's a group of people making a film about a historical film, which then feeds into what those people end up doing in the in, in terms of their current reality. And I think that was a really interesting way of thinking about how what we look at in history impacts us, and also how perhaps historical films are really about how and what we want to see rather than kind of a just a pure sort of, you know, objective, quote unquote, truth that is somehow going to hold forth in, in, in cinema. And I think and it's a shame that 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 somehow we've seemed to have lost that level of um, complex um, and self-aware way of thinking about about history and especially regarding historical films, because right now what we're, we seem to be seeing are really quite um, simplistic narratives. And that's a shame because there is an enormous amount of, and even in the last 10 years, there have been some really great films, but historical films, but we're not seeing the seeing them get the same kind of traction. Well, Sunny, thank you so much. It's been um, so much to, to think about. I know you're writing a book about all of this, um, which will <laughs> give us uh, kind of more insight. And I think we could have a long conversation about how we define history films and period dramas based on what you've been saying. But one of the questions that I wanted to put to you is actually about the definition of, of Bollywood and whether we should be talking about Bollywood in these contexts or whether we need a different kind of language to talk about um, Indian cinema. Because I think for most of us, the idea of Bollywood is light and, and you know, dancing and music and glamour and excitement. And yet we talk about the kind of cinema culture in India. It feels very different to that. So... 
Is it a contested term? Should we be using other terms when we're having these well, conversations? Well, it's definitely. Trust me, it's a definitely it's a it's a seriously contested term. Uh, Bollywood um, will get lots of people, depending on where you are, you know, people upset or not. Um, I don't actually um, use the term Indian cinema as a okay. as a singular term. I I talk about Indian cinemas as in as in plural because there are multiple industries. So that's in, India makes films, and I think if I remember correctly, in the last count. 15 languages um mo- many of those over a dozen of those industries are very well rooted with very long trajectories of their own sort of you know similar to um bombay cinema i talk about hindi commercial cinema when i so for for me when i say bollywood it's hindi commercial cinema and it's a little bit like saying hollywood i i don't see that i mean i i wish there was a better name rather than a derivative one uh, Bollywood works is a good shorthand. Um, but I think that's more about um, the global North's perception. Mm-hmm. And I have to say this is partly, this has been thanks to a lot of um, film critics and film scholars of the global North, but also from India, where anything commercial in, in many at d- different times in history was seen as somehow suspect and then post-1992 neoliberalism um you know money making became okay but prior to that there was you know there was there was a problem you know seen as somehow you know money was seen as somehow dodgy um and compromising but i think there's something else going on that we should think about we don't automatically look at hollywood and assume it's only marvel and dc comics we don't look at Hollywood and say, oh, well, it's just, you know, stupid films made for 12-year-old prepubescent boys. We are able to realize that, you know, yes, you know, you can have Spider-Man at the same time as, you know, very, very complex films. And I think there is something to be said about the global north and how academics, thinkers, scholars, critics, just average people perceive the global south because that same multiplicity, that same range is not allowed um, or accepted when it applies to something like Bollywood. Um, I also find it problematic because, you know, you can have a really fun film and Rangde Basanti for all its stuff is a really great film. Um, or, for example, you know, even something like um, Tugs of Hindustan or Lagan. I mean, Lagan is a great film talking about historical cinema. And, you know, I watched it in, in Delhi with, with people. It was like being at a cricket match with, you know, drums and flags. It was great. I mean, I had no idea what was said in the last once the cricket match began because everybody was so hyper. But it was great fun. Um, but I don't think that automatically somehow makes it less of a serious film yeah and i think that's something that's something the global north needs to address not india or anyone who works on indian cinemas i feel like i might be able to guess some of your pet hates (laughs) coming up (laughs) we're coming to that point (laughs) i sort of want to hazard a guess about where we might where we might go (laughs) with the with the pet hates part of our well let's um, let's before we get there before we get there sunny we do like to ask all our applicants to nominate 
a particularly favourite uh, historical film or TV production for our club library. Um, what would you like to nominate? Oh, you know, I spoke about some of my favourite films, so I'm going to nominate one that I did not mention. And I'm going mm-hmm. to nominate um, The Rising, Mongol Pandit, mm. because it's stunning, it's beautiful, um, very well made, it's complicated in multiple ways. Um, and I think for me, and I think that's again 2005, um, yeah, and what I find really great about it is that it 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 refuses these kind of conservative um, boundaries that have been placed on the 1857 uprising and the the, the leaders of it. And in fact, it had it had a you know it had its own issues where it was like, how dare you know, this great hero of the uprising be shown to be in love with um, Atawaif, um, a dancing girl. And yet history says that that was very normal. So it's it's a real, I mean, but but beyond beyond the, the politics of it, external to the, the film um, and the protests, I, I think it's it's just a really, really beautifully made film and it's it's great to watch. It's absolutely stunning. I'm definitely seconding this nomination. It was actually, The Rising was one of the first um, Hindi films that I saw really when I started to get interested in Hindi cinema myself. And it just blew me away. It is incredible. And also, not to lower the tone, but Amir Khan at his most gorgeous. I mean, <laughs> just absurdly handsome. You know, I'm I'm not an Amir Khan Amir Khan fan. I mean, I think he's a little too cutesy and sweet looking. But <sighs> yeah, so high, <laughs> I think he he works there. I think it's the 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 scruffy factor that worked. Yeah, um, for me there. He, Lots he, of hair, he, he big moustache, dirty, dirtied up well. Mm, agreed <laughs> to lower the tone it is and I mean also let's mention Rani Mukherjee absolutely sensationally yes. gorgeous as well I mean yes. they are so sexy and it's just you know particularly the sort of chemistry between them and everything that incredible holy dance it's I would really say like if people have not seen Hindi films and want to start watching them it's a great place to start I think oh yes and it's beautifully shot well I haven't seen it and it sounds like it sounds like the yeah, perfect beautiful. entry point. So I think um, we should have a screening and then... Yeah, we'll definitely. That's going it. in the film club library. And that's that's yeah. for sure. And then we get to the most difficult part of the History Film Club application process, <laughs> which is that we also ask all of our um, guests to nominate their pet hate. So, Sunny, oh. what, what would yours be? Something to ban from the History Film Club? Because you want everyone oh, to be gosh. comfortable. No, that, that, I have a very long list. <laughs> very, very long list. Um, but, do you know, I mean, I think one of the things... And, and I thought about it. I'm, I'm thinking about this one. But I'm going to choose my pet hates for British um, TV and film productions. And I have two. <laughs> First, I wish British film and television production put the same energy into researching things like costume when they set stuff in India as they do for the white um, and British characters because you know and Alex and I have spoken about this before um Indian summers drove me absolutely bonkers every time I watched it I was like that is the wrong (laughs) that could not have been worn and it just it feels like you know that's where they cut 
cut corners because who cares? You know, it's gen- generically India. Um, so if you throw them in, you know, sort of vaguely draped stuff, that'll be fine. Um, so that's one of my pet hates. And the second pet hate is, again, for British productions that are shot in India. I have no idea what is done with the lighting when and how films are lit. And I always think about, I mean, so this is everything from Darjeeling Express to, um, you know, Slum, uh, Slumdog Millionaire, going all the way to Heat and Dust. Somehow British filmmakers managed to render the light quality and therefore the image in India to something that is at once nostalgic and sort of pallid and washed out. I'm not quite sure how they do it, but that's the one I would change. I would, that's my pet peeve. And it, it, it's sort of, I have yet to watch a movie where it, they don't do that. <laughs> well, those are great. I think, we can, I think we can get behind those pet hates, can't so. we, Alex? I think so. I think you better I mean, move them. Have, that's fascinating. I really hadn't thought about that lighting thing. And I'm thinking about it. I'm thinking about Asperger's movie Gundy and stuff. And actually, yeah, it's really beige, that movie. The kind of the mm-hmm. palette becomes sort of British mm-hmm. cinema palette rather than, yeah. Yeah, and it's sort of um, I know that you know they they use I mean Hollywood uses that really really explicit yellow filter for anything <laughs> that is over there, um, but British filmmakers use a version of it, and I'm not quite sure what it is because it's 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 a very it doesn't look like India. Mm. Maybe there's <laughs> a kind of there's a presumption that all the LA films are Golden Sun and all the anything that's British production has to be in a kind of mizzle, a drizzly kind of beige. <laughs> like otherwise we just won't understand it. <laughs> if it's, like if it's in its original authentic colours, then we'll just be like, ah, oh, my eyes, I don't understand. It's not in a kind of shade of grey. <laughs> so, <laughs> Could you make this look a bit um, more depressing? I, I, yeah, it's too bright. Yeah, Way too much sunshine. <laughs> yeah. Cut it down. <laughs> we'll have those. muted have... light at the History Film Club. We'll have lighting settings. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Sunny can be in charge of the lighting. I think that's really fascinating. Those are two very interesting observations. And yeah, of course, <laughs> definitely both both banned. Um, well, Sunny, I think on that basis, without further ado, Sunny Singh, we are delighted to welcome you to membership of the History Film Club. Congratulations, you're in. Thank you. Wow. I'm, I'm we would like to buy you a lovely drink from the club bar. Now, of course, this bar is wonderfully equipped, can make any drink historical or modern. You know, I, I was thinking about something that I would probably get at the Delhi Gym Panel, which is a gin with nimbu pani, lime water, and some roast nuts on the side. And I'm not sure what they're called. In, in Hindi, they're, they're moonkali. It's, it's not cashew nut, it's the other peanuts. It's the peanuts, roast peanuts with um, lots of pepper and gin and nibupani. That would be my my drink oh my God, that's from the bar. Sounds great. We might all have those. <laughs> Fantastic. I've actually never thought of gin, gin and nibupani. That's actually sounds fabulous. Thank you very much, Sunny Singh. And thank you, listeners, for listening in. I'm Alex von Tonsenberg. I'm Hannah Gregg. And this has been the History Film Club. See you next time. You've been listening to the History Film Club with Alex von Tonsenberg, Hannah Gregg and Sunny Singh. It was produced by Nat Tapley for Glomer Productions. Assistant producer was Abby Robinson. 